Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to another episode of What's the Hype Podcast. The building. And an interception, and you're not down by 10 anymore. Andre Howe, his second interception of the To get you the information that you need is when you start your own business and do your own thing. And I felt like it gave me a good perspective. I was not the first person to go through what I went through. Welcome to another episode of What's the Hype Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Pope, a.k.a. The Pod Disciple. I'm the co-host, Andre Howe. Man, and we're excited, man. I mean, you can feel it kind of coming through the screen right now if you're not watching, but you can, you're can you going to feel the energy coming through, man. We're excited to have a special guest, man. The SEC all-time leader in reception and yards, all-SEC selection, all-American selection, second-round draft pick for the Eagles, and I cannot – not mentioned, member of Cap Alpha Psi fraternity. Welcome to the podcast, Yo. Matthews. What's good, man? Appreciate y'all having me. I'm excited. Absolutely. So, Jordan, a little bit about our podcast, man. We really, the podcast in itself, titled What's the Hype? We like to go beyond the hype, right? We want to help. It's an acronym for helping young people excel. So we want to go beyond the hype of what people traditionally see and think of athletes or, or their process and their journey. And we want you to be able to kind of tell it, right? And just kind of tell the ups and downs and all those things so that somebody coming behind you can have a great idea of what they're kind of, what they're walking into. Right. So, so with that being said, we just like to dive right in. We want to start from the beginning. Tell us a little bit about where you're from, your family, and what it was like growing up there. No doubt, man. I'm from Alabama, man. I grew up a uh, two-parent home. I was really blessed, man. I had a brother who was older than me, a uh, hard-working dude. You know, I tell a lot of people, man, uh, you know, my brother really taught me work ethic. I've, I'm the only person taller than six foot in my household. My brother stopped growing at 5'9", and he taught me to work like I was 5'9", basically. Like, I remember this dude just, he had to grind for every inch, and I was kind of lazy because I was blessed so much with just size, a little bit of speed. And I just remember, like, I could fool other people, but I couldn't fool him. You know what I'm saying? If I put up 20 points, I'd be like, oh, I'm working. He's like, no, you're not. I live with you. You know what I'm saying? And so he really taught me the grind, man, at a young age. That was my cornerback. That was who I competed with growing up. And then my parents, and I can't say enough about them, man. My dad. Um, you know, hardworking man. I saw him wake up early. I saw him go to work. He picked us up from school. My mama, she wake up. She prepares for school. She takes to school, and then she come home later, cook. You know, what I'm saying, get food prepared, man. So, you know, I was I was I was a very blessed kid, man. I, I do, I still do stuff now where I work with kids who come from from backgrounds less fortunate than mine. And, and the first thing I tell them, I say, look, I'm gonna be honest. If I tell y'all I understand, I'm not being real because I was very blessed. So while I'm trying to help you guys out, I want y'all to know y'all going to be helping me out. We're going to be learning about each other and we're going to try and grow. And so, um, you know, there was hardships, there was adversity. But at the same time, man, I, I had a, a blessed upbringing. We weren't rich by any standards, but my parents had the ability to give me what I needed. And so I think they even fueled a lot of my appreciation later on in life. So now I'm always trying to take care of them, make sure they're good, man. So I can't, I can't say enough about how, how great of a, of, a, of a household, of a village that I was able to be raised in was. Absolutely. That's what's up. That's what's up. When did you get into sports? Uh, which sport and uh, who inspired you? Man, <laughs> man, you know what's crazy, man? We talk a lot about how bullying is bad, man. Bullying got me into football, man. <laughs> I was playing <laughs> soccer. I was playing soccer, man. I loved soccer back in the day. 
uh, obviously I had hoop dreams. You know, we all played basketball, but soccer was the sport I was best at. But in Alabama, man, in the, in the 90s, you playing soccer, you getting made fun of. So the kids used to pick on me, you know, bad. And I was like, man, I, I told my mom, I said, look, I can't go outside now. Put me, put me in football. So, so I started playing ball. And uh, I get in a, and I, I remember it because it was, it was not a highlight of my life. But the first day I go to football practice, they put us in pads. Like, okay, this guy got some size. Let's put him in running back. So they put me in a little Oklahoma drill. Man, I start. We called it tipping back in the day. When you don't hit that hole, and I was tipping. <laughs> and I got killed by this dude named Blake Hastings, man. I remember his whole name, man. This boy hit me so hard. I said, I said, hell no. Nah. I said, coach, what's the what's the position where you outside of this box? He says, wide receiver. I've been playing wide receiver ever since. <laughs> I said, put me out there. And so, so even if Pop Warner, man, they was not passing the ball. I said, I don't care, man. I'm out here. I would just do my little deal at wide receiver. And then one day, one game, like I said, my brother was tough, right? He was the running back. And we tried to do an onside kick. And he tried to go in and put his hand in to grab the ball. And two helmets hit his wrist. And my brother broke his wrist. He was our best player at the time. Like, dang, my brother going to the hospital. So I'm really reconsidering this game, right? So then my coach comes over and says, look, Jordan, we're going to do a reverse, okay? So you don't got to run through the hole. You're just going to run around. We're going to toss it to you and try and outrun everybody. I said, shoot, I can do that. Man, they gave me that reverse. I've been running since, dog. I've been running since, man. I scored. And, and at that point, I was like, man, I think I like this game, man. Never since then, bro. I've been playing football, man. I love it. Um, I mean, Dre really – and what's funny is I was around Dre, a lot of my guys like Kenny and Kraus and Carl, when I really started coming into my own, man. Like, I only had one scholarship off. And I think we're going to talk about that a little bit more later. But I was not just this household name, this guy that had a lot of fanfare. Man, I was just playing. I was playing basketball and football. But over time – I started getting better, started learning, man. I really, I really did fall in love with the game. I fell in love with the challenge of it. And, and that's why I still play today, man. That's why I still go after today. That's why I still love being around it, just because it's the, you know, there's a lot of stuff wrong with it when you get to the business side, but just the purity of the game itself, there's nothing that teaches you more lessons about life, I don't feel like. And, you know, and it's, and it's given a lot of black men opportunities, man. So I can't, I, you know, I can't say enough about how much I appreciate the game for what it is. Absolutely. I can relate to the journey and just the overall uh, support that, that and the lessons that football teachers, especially at a young age. I mean, I can't necessarily agree with the Oklahoma drill because I grew up around that time, too. We had to, you know, yeah. I, I don't think that was the most healthy thing to be doing at that age. <laughs> no, no. I, I totally know it for me. Um, but let's kind of talk about a little bit about your high school. Where did you go? And then talk about a little bit about your high school process. You say you wasn't really heavily recruited. but How was your process? What was your, what was your success like during that time? Man, so there there had been nobody that ever went Division One from my high school before, you know. Uh, so 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 my parents, right? I was in a, um, I went to this school uh, called Madison Academy, and and I I was I remember at one point my brother was the only black person in his whole grade, not just his his homeroom, his whole grade. He was the only black dude. And when I first went to school, it was me, a black girl named Olivia and another mixed kid named Jordan. So I was even an anomaly in my own grade too. And so it was weird because it was this all white Christian high school. And then I go over to my family and we go into all black missionary Baptist church. I'm very, I'm, I'm really close to my mom's side, my dad's side. 
So I used to tell people, I knew about grilled chicken and fried chicken growing up, dog. It was like, I was always integrating amongst different cultures, you know, and then in the South, um, it amplified that even more. And so just growing up, man, there was certain ways that I had to try and find my way, man. Um, and, and football and sports was probably the main one. Um, but like I said, nobody had ever gone division one. Um, when I started telling people I was having colleges come to the school and they was talking to me, nobody believed me. That was like, oh, I ain't gonna offer, you know, and, and sure enough, nobody was pulling the trigger. I went to uh, Auburn, I went to Mississippi State, and I went to Vanderbilt and did camps and balled at these camps, nobody offered. I got to the end of my senior year, we played around Thanksgiving. I had the ball in the last kick return, uh, got tackled, we lost in the third round, and I had no offers when I walked off the field as a senior. My last game, zero. And uh, so so what happened was my mom said, hey, you got about a month before you need to start sending out some college applications. Because your brother's already Mississippi State. He's already on scholarship, taking engineering. We didn't give him this football thing some time. But, baby, you got, you know, we got to start picking up, you know, where you going to go. And so, uh, so I said, okay, just give me some time. Just give me some time. Uh, I remember I, had, I used to walk around my highlight films. And I saw a coach one time in Walmart from a school in Alabama that was not even Division One. And I said, hey, here's my highlight film. Like, my name's Jordan Mack. I play at Madison Academy. My- I never heard back from that dude. Wow. Didn't have no offer from Jacksonville State. Didn't have no offer from Faulkner, DeVry University Online. I ain't getting nothing. <laughs> I-, I got no calls to help. And so – so I get to my, it's like December, like 20th. I'm online and I'm watching videos of dudes because back then they used to have scout.com. Mm-hmm. I remember Jonathan Krause was, was, was committed. I mean, Chris Boyd was committed to Vanderbilt. Trent Prue was committed to Vanderbilt. And this dude named Bradley Roby was committed to Vanderbilt at the time. And I used to be like, you know, I'm, I'm a big Kanye fan. I remember he had this one song back in the day. He said, I'm like, dang, these brothers that much better than me? And I used to feel that. I'm like, I got to see what makes these dudes so good that they got offers. So I used to watch these guys all the time because I wanted to go to Vanderbilt so bad. And one day I was watching Bradley Roby's highlights. And I was like, okay, it's got nice. But I scrolled to the comments. And one of his homeboys was like, hey, man, I'm friends with Bradley Roby. He ain't about to stay at Vanderbilt. He, he decommitting soon. He just got an offer from Ohio State. Dog, when I said I dropped it to my knees and I started praying. I said, Lord, please, like, like, please help this dude flip. <laughs> like, please help this brother, like, reconsider going to Vanderbilt. And I'm so serious. I even told my dad, I said, Dad, I need you to pray with me because I think this might be my only opportunity to get a scholarship. And sure enough, four days later on Christmas Eve, Coach Caldwell calls me and says, hey, we just had a guy decommit. And you next up, you, you on our list, and we want to offer you a scholarship to Vanderbilt University. And man, I started crying right then. Man. I said, I, I accept it. And we was playing the Huntsville Times Classic, man. It was this big basketball tournament in Huntsville, and it was like a big deal during the starting lineups. If you was committed to a school, they was gonna say your name. Like, I remember Reggie Ragland when he was playing. They'd be like, uh, "University of Alabama commit." You know, Reggie Ragland, whole gym. Like that was like a big deal. People knew you was going to college, and I remember that next day we was playing. I can't remember who we was playing. But they said, Vanderbilt University commit. Man, bro, I, I was the happiest dude in the gym, dog. Because finally, man, somebody saw me. You know, outside of my family, outside my little community, somebody said, I think this dude got something. And so, man, that, that, that changed my whole trajectory, man. At that point, I said, I'm going to make these dudes, I'm going to prove these dudes right. 
you know, they gave me a chance. I'm gonna prove them right. And uh, and man, that was how that was how everything started, man, with me going to Vanderbilt, man. That but but Bradley Roby, every time I see that dude, I I, I give him a hug a little bit longer. When I see him. <laughs> like I, I swear the first time this dude kind of weird. I said, man, just chill, bro. Just know, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> you don't even know it. So. Man, that's that's amazing. I can't. I think you kind of dive dove into your uh, recruiting process. So um, we just want to talk about a little bit. Once you arrived at Vandy, what was the biggest adjustment from you going from high school to college? Man, biggest adjustment, man. I I think it was, um, you know, when when you when, when you're in high school, you kind of just like you you still got your family there, and you still got this huge support system like right there every time you go home that's always kind of pushed you. My mom was big in academics. So when I would come home, you know, she would turn the TV off. You know, Brady used to go sit in the piano room. She was able to facilitate an environment where we knew, okay, we got to work hard in order to get what we want. And in college, you know, like, ain't nobody telling you where to go and where to be. And so a lot of that stuff had to be self-motivated. And so early on, you know, I remember like, I, I came to college, I was on my P's and Q's and like, you know, I'm going to do this right. I'm going to do this right. I'm going to take care of this, take care of this. And I think my first summer and my first fall of my freshman year went great because I was so focused. I was so in tune. But then that spring came, man, and I got in this Spanish class. And, dog, it, mm-hmm. and, and I was in there with Dre, man, and that was the first time <laughs> I was just like, dog, I'm not getting this. Like, and, and the teacher was not trying to help us out none. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and – I was like, yo, like, I think I'm going to flunk this class. And I just remember calling my mom, like, mom, I'm struggling. This. Like, I can't, I don't know if I can do it. And she just said, just, just like, Jordan, honestly, like, you have some good grades, you have some bad grades, just finish. She was like, everything ain't going to be great, but you, you better finish. Don't go repeat nothing, you better finish. And so at that point, I was like, shoot, by any means necessary, I just got to get through it. And so I think it was just in those moments, like, I started realizing, like, man, you know, it ain't always going to be pretty. In high school, you get, like, 3.9, you get all the community service hours, you ball out, and you just, it's perfect. Man, life ain't like that. You're going to take some L's in life. You know what I'm saying? I learned that even on the football field. We took a lot of losses, but we we celebrate the little victories. Like, if one of us, bro, one of us freshmen got in and we did something, oh, man, that night, we were celebrating. Like I start, I no for real. I started to learn like about what a real brotherhood was, man. Like mm-hmm. and learning like how to celebrate those small victories. And so, just those first couple of years, I started to really learn a ton about just like man, focusing on what really matters, learning how to finish. You know what I'm saying? And and understand like, hey, it ain't always gonna be pretty. We just gotta make something out of nothing at times, you know. And so. I say those are some of the first couple of things I learned, first couple of adjustments, and they just had to let that dog come out, man. My first, you know, I know I'm rambling, but my first, like, seven on seven, you know, I'm going against, like, Casey Haywood and Sean, you know, um, you know, you know, I'm going against, uh, I mean, Eric Sam was a really good DB at the time. Jamie Graham, a lot of people know Jamie Graham now, but at Vanderbilt, he was a big deal when we first got there. And you wasn't going to get open running high school routes on these dudes. You know, my first 707, I couldn't find no open space. So I'm like, I got to learn how to problem solve. I got to figure out how to compete on this level. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it was just it was just lessons like that, man. I was like, man, nothing coming easy out here no more. Like, I got to go get it. I got to find a way to make something out of nothing. Because if you don't want to be nobody, trust me, you can join the line. Yep. Join the crowd. There's plenty of them. Only room that's full is the room of uh, mediocrity. That room full. You go right in. And so I was like, nah, I want to be different. 
So I just had to find a way, find a group of guys that I meshed with that was on the same thing as I was, and, and, I, and I was able to do that. Good. <clears throat> Talk about uh, your team success and your individual success at Vanderbilt. And uh, I know, like, our first year, it was, it was kind of tough, and it was going to feel. So, you know, we, we all kind of struggled our first year. But uh, tell me about, you know, the second, third, fourth year. Right, right, right. So that, so like, like Drake said, man, that first year it was, it was ugly. It was like, you know, I remember we got to like week seven. It was so bad. I started hearing guys kind of talk about like what intramural basketball team they was gonna be playing on in the office. I'm like, this ain't, this ain't it. You know, we come into meetings, and you know, I'm watching highlights before Sunday meetings, and I'm seeing guys go for like 120, 130, 140 you know, yards in a game. And we, we was putting up, like, maybe, like, 10, 30, like, individually. Now, I know it's not all about individual stats, but sometimes those tell a little bit of the story. You know what I'm saying? I just kind of was like, man, I don't know if this is it. Like, I, like I feel like we, we can go to a higher level. And I won't say the dude's name, um, but I remember it was one day I was just catching jugs. Boom. Let's try to get some extra work in. And this dude came out. And he, he was on our team. He said, hey, man, I see you catching those jugs, but uh, I, I've seen a lot of guys, a lot of freshmen come out, and they pull that jug machine out. And, and by the middle of the year, by the end of the year, you ain't going to be pulling that thing out no more. He just looked and he told me, he put that on my life. And I was like, you don't, you don't know me. You know what I'm saying? And, but he was, traje- he was projecting something. Mm-hmm. He, he knew that he didn't have the capacity to see something through or to see something better than what was going on around him at the time. And I was like, man, you don't know who, who you're talking to. Like, you don't know what's inside of me. And so I just remember, like, I was like, dog, I'm going to show you, like, it's going to be this right here that's going to take this team to a whole nother level. It's going to be the stuff that we do outside of what's required. Because it got to the point where I started realizing, like, yo, like, as a freshman, all we was doing was what they told us to do. If we had to come work for an hour 30, that's how long we work, and then everybody would go back to the room. We'd be chilling, kicking it, playing video games. And I started thinking, hold on. And I, and I know I wasn't the only person thinking this because it was so – it became so organic that we had a lot of dudes that started working at this level. We started putting in extra time. But I was like, look, if we Vanderbilt – and I know our recruiting class ain't ranked as high as Alabama, LSU, Mississippi State, Auburn. That means they bringing in dudes – just all talent on a way higher level than all of our team. If they work at hour 30 and we work at hour, th- at hour 30, how do we even have a chance of beating them? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We, we got to do more because if we're doing what's required, we're going to lose every time. And, and, and what, was, what was amazing about that was I was not the only person that was thinking like that. Dog. When I started coming in extra, I started seeing other dudes starting to get extra work. I started seeing other brothers that was that was like minded as me saying, okay, we're gonna do. I mean, Dre noticed we would work Monday through Friday. And Friday morning, we'd have the morning work where we go to the stadium and we work out at 6 a.m. Like I said, my freshman year, from at, by the time 7:30 a.m. hit, you want to see some dudes back in the building until Monday. Let me tell you something. We would take Friday, we recover. Saturday, we started coming in and doing a little bit of something. Guys will go out Saturday night. But on Sunday, I don't care if you went out Saturday night, we was out there doing 707 by ourselves. Like, that same stuff. Like, people all amazed. Oh, man, Tom Brady, he be pulling his – we've been doing that. Like, you know, we've been saying we're going to come together and we're going to start working on ourselves. 
And so when we started doing that, that's what started making it take off, man. Uh, my, my individual numbers jumped from like, I think the last four games in my freshman year, I had four touchdowns, but I went from like 100 yards to my second year having 750. And I attribute that all to just us playing, us competing with each other. Third year, 1,300. Fourth year, 1,400. And Dre knows this, man. This was not no buddy-buddy. There was times, bro, I was like, I don't even know if I'm going to be friends with Dre and Steve, my boy Steve Clark. I don't even know we're going to be friends after the 707 <laughs> because it was all about getting better, bro. Like, we used to talk. We, we, we call each other almost everything but a child of God, bro. That's how bad it would get. That's how much trash talking we did. But it was all in the effort to make us better. Kenny, all, and like, you know, that I feel like that's what took us to another level. And I feel like that's why a lot of us are so close nowadays because we saw each other grow. We saw each other become men and we still becoming men. You should see our group me, like our group chat, like it's the, the, the level of maturity over the years, like we still competing with ourselves. And so I think that's what really carried us. And that's what put the numbers where they are now. So the SEC records, all that, man, I, I tell people all the time, I'm like, a, you know, when you're watching the game, and you see, like, the Aflac trivia question with a little duck come on. You know what I'm saying? Like, Aflac, who – that's what I am, basically. Like, you ask somebody who is SEC's all-time leader, they're going to be like, oh, Julio? Uh, I don't care. Like, it's me. But at the same time, that stuff don't matter because I'm not going to call Kenny Ladler and be like, hey, you remember that time I broke the SEC net, uh, uh, record? It's not – that's – that's you're not bonding over that. We call each other like, hey, remember that one time we was grinding for morning workouts? Hey, you remember when we was – Planning that seven on seven by ourselves. You know, one time me and Steve almost got in a fight. You know, <laughs> like that's when the camaraderie was built. That's when we went to another level. And those are things I'm remembering the most. I got a son now. Like I'm gonna tell him about those moments. Right. Oh, yo, you want to be great? Okay, I'm gonna show you the way. I'm gonna show you the type of dudes you got to get around. This guy that's gonna compete with you. You know, show me the five people you're hanging around, and I'll tell you how great you're gonna be. And it's because those lessons that I learned organically by being around the right people. Remember um, when me and Dre did our when I when he did an episode with me, he mentioned uh, the dynamics of guys being committed to turning around the process. So I just want to ask Dre, 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 what was your um, your impression of, of Jordan when you first met him, and then also just your your your, your opinion and things of how y'all kind of turned that program? Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, I thought it was crazy. <laughs> I thought it was insane. The dude, the dude was so hyped up all the time, like all the time. Like in the morning, we'll, we'll, we'll walk we'll walk to to, to, to workouts, and he'd be. Like just up, like bro, it's six o'clock in the morning. Like, why are you up? Like, <laughs> that's how he was. He was up. He was always up. And uh, like he he pushed he pushed everybody though. Everybody trying to get on his level because he was he was above everybody. Like he he was definitely above everybody level. Like he made everybody he made everybody come to his level. And that's that's what he did. That's why we got better because he 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 raised the bar. He set the bar really. He set the bar a lot. And um, I appreciate the dude, man. He really he really helped me out so much because I was I, I was I was lazy. I just like didn't I didn't really want to work all the time. And right. with him. You can, work out. you can work every time. Every time you do something, you're doing something 100%. And I really appreciate him for that, bro. Absolutely. I think even back to my playing days in college, I had, you know, I can remember guys that were, you know, have that extra work ethic that when you were a college kid, you just want to get back, relax, hang out, do some other things. But, you know, it was those individuals that helped push. But then also diving back into your story, understanding you ain't have no scholarship offers. So you had to go and really fight and get everything that, that, that you could. So it wasn't just, oh, I've been recruited. You felt that. That uh, that expectations or that you you know you deserve this type of stuff. You went in and fought for it. So man, I definitely understand that. Um, can you talk about when did you realize that you um had the had a chance to possibly play at the next level? When was that? Yep. 
Yeah, man. So the time I realized it was, so my second year, right, we, we, we started the year off and this was, like I said, I finished my freshman year really strong, had four touchdowns, four straight games. But my second year, I kind of got off slow. You know, um, my boy Chris Boyd was balling. He caught like two touchdowns the first game. Then he caught another one the second game. So, my, so Boyd was like really starting to come on. He was starting to come to his own. Krause had already coming to his own. Um, you know, he, my man, shout out to Krause. He coached in Oregon now. He was he was playing at a high level as a freshman. So he'd already kind of solidified kind of himself. And they were looking at me to kind of be like, you know, a, a kind of a, a little bit of a go-to guy, third down, red zone, you know. And I just got off to a really, really slow start, man. And um, I remember even going to Alabama. We played Alabama that year. And I was like, okay, this is going to be the game. It's going to be when I get around back in my home state. And I played terrible that game. I don't even want to watch that film. And so I really started, I really started doubting myself, man. I remember just like crying like some nights just because I was like, man, I thought I, I thought I had this. I had finished my freshman year well, but I'm off to a really, really slow start. And you can go watch the film. You pull up Jordan Matthews versus Arkansas. I think it was 2000 and uh, this would be 2012. I catch a we, – we go play – Arkansas comes to us to play. And I catch a little like juke route. The only reason why I was at that spot to run that route, I was like in the slot, was because I got demoted that week. They kept it on the hush-hush, but my receivers coach came to me and said, I mean, you're not pulling your weight. And so Krause, Boyd, and they even put another receiver ahead of me. I was like fourth. I was the fourth receiver. I was only in because we were in a spread formation. And I ran a little juke route and caught it, and I scored. And then it was like, okay, give him another one. You know, like, Franklin was like, shoot, throw him another. Then I ran, like, a little stud of gold. Caught it again. I had, like, 130 uh, that day versus Arkansas. I was like, yo, but it was kind of out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was really out of nowhere. So, like Michael Jordan said, you can do you can do it one time off luck. You know what I'm saying? Like, when you can do it a couple times, that's when you start to know this guy's kind of got something. Well, we ended up playing Florida. I think we played Florida the next week. We're going to the Swamp. And Florida had not let a receiver go for 100 yards the whole the whole season. Like in Florida, they used to be like DBU at a time. Like yeah. I think LSU might have it now a little bit. What's funny is Vanderbilt slick got it a little bit. Like they don't talk about Vanderbilt. We put a lot of great DBs in the league. But Florida at this time, they kind of – that was like DB capital. And they had not let a receiver go for 100 yards. I put 170 in a touchdown on it. And at that point, I'm sitting on the bus. I'm like, yo, I think I can – I think I can make some money doing this. Like, I think I can play in the pros now. And then Kentucky came to our house, and I gave them 130 in a touchdown. I had, like, two straight 120-plus-yard games and a touchdown versus three straight SEC teams. And at that point, I was like, oh, yeah, like, I think I can do this. And then uh, all these articles started coming out, like, top 50, you know, receivers and college football. And I ain't never seen my name on no article, like, mm-hmm. no Bleacher Report. It was like number 43. I'm like, and people like people nowadays, these kids are like, oh, they hating on me. I was like, 43? Shoot. Like, <laughs> let's go. You know what I'm saying? I'm gonna get I'm gonna get the 42. I'm gonna get the 41, you know? And so what's funny is when I came into college, man, like I came in with like guys like Robert Woods, Keenan Allen, Brandon Cooks, and all these dudes. And by the time I left college, I had the most active receiving yards of anybody that I came into school with from across the country Mm -hmm. when you touch campus the same time that I touched campus I ended with more yards than all of them which was 
crazy to me. You know what I'm saying? Like, but but I just remember, dog. I remember like after I caught four touchdowns in four straight games as a freshman, my cousin Kurt, that's my dog, like that's my dude. Like Kurt was with me. And he came to that game and then we all went up to Huntsville where I'm from and we was just in the living room chilling. I told Kurt, I said, dog, I had a hundred yards this year and four touchdowns. I think Robert Woods as a freshman had like, I think he had like 800 or something. I said, dog, I'm going to catch him. I said, I think I'm going to catch him. But that was before I was thinking about professional. I was thinking, I was like, I think I'm going to catch him. But then it was after that Florida game when I was like, I think I can definitely play in the pros and end up, you know, shout out to Rob, that dude, the baller, he's still balling. But it was just one of those things where, like, I was able to catch him and I was able to go pro. And, you know, I just remember those those little moments, man, they stick out in my mind of, like, those little milestones. That Florida game, I got on that bus and I was like, I think I can do this. In the, in the swamp, so that's big, man. That was big. Yeah, in the swamp. In the swamp. All right, Jordan, uh, how was your pre-draft experience? Uh, how was your combine, you know, your draft visits? And uh, did you have a feel for what team would take you? <laughs> Yeah, man. Uh, so, so draft experience was cool. Um, you know, I, I'll be honest, man. Um, I I had a feeling it was going to be the Panthers or the Eagles. I had good visits with both of them, um, and so I wasn't surprised when the Eagles uh, ended up taking me. Uh, Panthers ended up taking Kelvin Benjamin in the first round. Um, but I mean, the whole experience was cool. Uh, I, I did feel like um, it was kind of weird getting that much attention, though. Uh, because I just want used to that. Like I said, I was first person ever to code Division One for my high school, and then playing at Vanderbilt. I think Vanderbilt's a healthy environment to play football because you can ball and walk around campus in total obscurity. Like nobody will even know who you are, and I think that's healthy because a lot of dudes when they leave the game, they don't know what it's like for people not to care about them. Yep. And I and I hate to go up to them and be like, bro, honestly, they never cared about you in the first place. Like, <laughs> they cared about your, that number on you, you know what I'm saying, and you with that helmet on, but they never really cared about mm-hmm. you. That's an illusion. And so we was always in kind of a real space where it was like people went right back to doing what they cared about doing. And so it was a lot of attention, man. And then getting drafted by Philadelphia, it amplified that even more. Like, I had no idea. I mean, I could have I could have gone on Twitter and tweeted like a decimal point and got 2,000 retweets. Like it was just crazy. That fan base is, is, is on another level. And so, man, in short, man, it was a cool experience, but, but I will say, man, it was different, man. It was like, I had to grow up real fast. Like just because I didn't understand, um, I just, that, that culture, I wasn't ready for all that that was coming, but I adapted quickly, you know, once we really got into the playing ball part of it. Right, so you mentioned being drafted by Philly. Talk, just tell me about that draft day. What, what was it like to get the phone call? Tell me, you know, you was with your family. Kind of explain yeah. the whole situation. Yeah, man. So I got a, I got a call to go to uh to to New York, and um and and I thought I like I said I thought I was gonna go first round because uh, and this is so funny. I told y'all I was doing that thing where I was going to a deep dive and looking at my old Twitter posts from a long time ago to see like how did. I, I think when I was freshman, it was funny. On draft day, I think I was a sophomore. They had the draft, and there's some dudes that don't get taken first round, and they end up having to wait to the second day. And my young self tweeted, why would you even go to the draft if you're not going to get drafted first round? I spoke mm-hmm. that on myself. 
<laughs> that's how God works, though. He's like, okay, that's why there's only two people in the world, those that's humble and those that's about to be. So I got humble <laughs> on that draft day. And so, um, and so the first day went by, I didn't get a call, and um, we ended up going back to the hotel. But I was like, man, hey, I'm blessed. I'm not about to sit here and, like, be one of those people like, man, they slept on me. Like, if I get drafted the second round, that's cool, bro. Like, this dudes that don't even get picked. So um, I wasn't even tripping on it. I did think it was weird, though, because a lot of them dudes that didn't get drafted the first day, it was kind of really down. And they have events every day. And the NFL took us to the top of, like, the Empire State Building. I'm like, why would you take a bunch of upset men up here? Like, <laughs> I see right. dudes like contemplating some terrible things that day. I said, bro, it's all, it's all good. You're gonna be picked today, bro. Just chill, <laughs> dog. Be good. And so, and so the next day we go in, and uh, the Eagles trade up, and I get uh, I get taken tenth, I think, in the second round. And I walk out there, you know, on stage. Everybody's cheering. Everybody's going crazy. I do all these interviews, and. Um, and man, it was just a, it was a surreal moment, man, because, like I said, it was so much at, at one time. I was able to have my family around me. Um, it, was a, it was a blessed experience, man. I, I still got a, a couple pictures at the house um, just, just from the experience. But, you know, like I said, when you get drafted on, like, in that situation to that team, immediately it's like, okay, celebrate tonight, but – you on a flight the next day, it's time to work. Mm-hmm. And so that was kind of like I was already past the celebration. We didn't like go out and do nothing. It was like it's on. So what what was it like to walk into the locker room with the likes of Malcolm Jenkins, uh Fletcher Cox, Jason Peters, and Deshaun Jackson? Right. Well, it was cool, man. Well, the, and the funny thing about uh the the DJ, I'll tell you about the DJ situation, bro. So DJ and Jason Avant had both just left before I got there. Because remember, Chip Kelly was the coach, and that was like a big deal that Chip ended up, you know, letting Deshaun go. And when I went to the combine, let me roll back to the combine. This Eagle Scout, this before I visited Eagles and started thinking they might take me, this guy who was an Eagle Scout came up to me and said, hey, me and uh, Coach Kelly have a, uh, have a wager on what you're going to run your 40 in. And so I'm sitting there thinking, okay, Y'all got Jeremy Mackler, Deshaun Jackson, Jason Apollo. You know, that. Yep. why does Chip Kelly care what I run my 40 in? You know, I'm just thinking, he don't care. And then little did I know that they was about to end up letting Deshaun go. And so they cared. They was like, what's this guy going to run? Because that's going to be probably a big factor on if we take him or not. And so then, like I said, end up getting drafted, get taken. I go there. And like I said, I'm walking to a situation where a very, a very polarizing guy as far as talent and as far as just being in the Philly culture leaves, you know what I'm saying, and Deshaun, they like, what you going to do? How are you going to add value to this team? And so, man, I just came in there and played my role. Man, I felt like that situation I walked into is, was great for me, and, I, and I, I wish more young receivers would be able to go into a situation where you have, you know, like as far as options, the ball is going to Deshaun first. Then Darren, then Jeremy Macklin, then Darren Sproles. That's three dudes. At that time, even uh, Riley Cooper was playing well. So Riley, you you got Brent Selig, you got Zach Ertz. Like I was probably like the seventh option. So I wasn't, I didn't have a ton of pressure. I had pressure to a second round pick, but at the same time, I was like, bro, just go out there and do your job. Mm-hmm. And it's gonna work out. Mm-hmm. And it did, man. I was able to go out there and ball. But like 
playing with those guys and being in that highly competitive like environment definitely helped me out a ton, man. Just because you know there was no a go in and you automatically, man. I'm like I could see my deficiencies very clearly because I was watching other dudes do it at a high level. But that really helped me, really helped me uh, to start my career off. Man, so so yep. so you kind of dove into you talking a little bit about it, but just kind of tell us a little bit about what was that welcome to the NFL moment, both on the field and off the field. Shoot, man, the welcome the welcome to the NFL moment. Well, I would say on the field, there was a there was a situation where um I probably say too a quick one was I got a screen pass versus the 49ers and I saw daylight. I was like, oh, I'm out. All of a sudden, my body just got shook. I was like, whoa, it was Patrick Willis. I was like, yo, these, these holes close up quick. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that, was, that was big for me. But then really the real one. See, Twitter and everything wasn't as big nowadays as it is. So there's a lot of stuff about organizations now that get exposed. Because you can have an employee that don't like a place and will go and expose everything about the place on Twitter. People are going to read it, and they can formulate their own opinions. So when we was coming to the NFL, there was still this very romanticized view of the NFL. This is very pre-Kaepernick, pre-protest, pre-August. So it was still like that was the pinnacle. You never thought, like, when people tell you it's a business, you was like, oh, yeah, sure, whatever. It's not no business. This is, the, this is just football, man. It's fun. And so we had this very – like I said, romanticized view of the NFL. And my second year, I was, like I said, I played really good my freshman year, uh, my rookie year. And so I really didn't think I had that welcome to NFL moment other than that tag from Patrick Willis. But my really on the field and off the field moment, that moment where it really hit my brain, I started playing kind of, I wasn't playing that well. And I, um, I, started, I started getting those, in, in those mentions, like people just starting to say some things to me that I was like, yo, like I've never, I've never spoke that. I'm, I'm not gonna say I've never wronged nobody, but I've never talked bad to nobody. Like mm-hmm. I just want raised like that to where I could look at somebody and, and just talk bad to them. Like if you was my homie, we teammates, we could talk junk, but just somebody I don't know. And so people started like getting on me. It was affecting my game. I didn't know how to block stuff out at that time at all. And I still work on it today. But I remember it was affecting my play. And, and Coach Kelly, uh, he gets a bad rap sometimes, man, but I, I, I judge people how they treat me. Mm-hmm. And he, he, he came to me, and I could tell – he could tell I was struggling. He said, Jordan, let me tell you something. He said, 80% of people don't care about your problems, and 20% are glad you got them mm-hmm. and walked off. And that was a moment, bro, for me where I was just like, dang. like." And that, that was one of the – like, I'm talking to you guys about that right now because of how that junk affected me. Where I was like, man, you better be able to cultivate your own joy in this game. Because when you up, when you down, when you doing just okay, bro, like everything that we do now, especially in the NFL, this junk is performance-based. This is not unconditional love. This is none of that. Like, if you're not performing, you are out. Yeah. They do not care about the second you get hurt, watch who watch who talks to you in that building and watch who don't. Mm-hmm. You know, you got you got some you got very few relationships in your life where you can honestly say that like, okay, my performance like doesn't matter. I honestly think it's hard to think of really any because even in marriage, I have an I have an amazing marriage. There's still a point where 
I got to do the right things in order to make this thing go. Yep. Okay. Outside of my relationship with Yahweh, I think that's the only one where I can honestly say like, like no matter what I do, I still feel like, like he loves me, you know what I'm saying? And I, and I throw my wife next. She, you know, she, she's, um, she's unbelievable with how she still um, is with me, even when I do stupid stuff. But when I tell you, it's like, at that moment, I was like, dog, ain't no love out here. Like 100%, there's no love out here. We gonna learn a lot of things too about, we gonna break it down on team and that matters. Cause I think understanding how to be a part of a team, understanding how to build teamwork, and cultivate community, those things matter. But, under, but understand, the second your performance falls off, oh, you out. Yeah. Like, you're not looked at the same. They, they, like, they, they see you totally different from what you thought you were before. And so that was one of those really welcome to the NFL moments. I was like, man, when people say it's a business, that was really when I started. And then even more so, I know, I know you're probably going to ask me about the trade situation. That's when it even hit another level to the point where I really got to the point, I said, okay, I got to start figuring out how, how is Jordan Matthews, the man, going to start navigating life and navigating this realm? It's unfortunate that a lot of players don't make it to that place of them right. figuring out what they can do by themselves because they wrap their identity in the sport and wrap their identity right. in the love by everybody. So right. you know, that, that, you know, for you to be able to kind of realize that early on, that's, that's definitely a big dream. Mm -hmm. Shout out to you. Definitely. All right, Joe, let's talk about some money, man. So, um, yeah, did you have good did you have good money money skills before you got drafted? Because you know, yeah. I was seven round pick. Uh, I ain't make I ain't make half a sign bones you made, and I I, I was not about a, a brand new challenger, so I didn't know that my money. Yeah. <laughs> I was sure, man, but look, they gave they gave me motivated team. Yeah. the team. I'm like, I got I made this team, so I can pay for this car. So, uh, yeah. how you feel about that? Man, hey, I would say well, I'm gonna say this one thing though, Dre, about you going in the seventh round, man. I, I played with Michael Bennett two years ago. That dude, I guess he's another dude that you can get mixed emotions from people when you ask about Michael Bennett. When you bring up the Bennett brothers, it, it depends on who you ask. But that dude, Michael Bennett, I like that brother. He told me, he said, hey, I'm gonna tell you something. He said, look, football players deserve more 100%, but, but I think everybody should have to feel what it feels like to be undrafted. Because when you sit around, you really undrafted. Like, oh, so. you wake up that day and you like, I can't make a mistake today. Yeah. Mm -mm. If I make a mistake, it's like five mistakes. Yeah. If I make a mistake, it's like negative one. It's like, oh, what? Well, really, like, you get a little bit of that leeway and it can make you soft. It can make, being drafted in the second round can make you soft. And when you undrafted, sixth round, seventh round, you got to wake up on 10. There's lessons you learn as an undrafted rookie that first rounders don't learn until they retire, bro. 100%. It, it make you grow up like that. And so that's why it even took me longer. But as far as the money, like I said, I, I grew up in a situation, man, that was – I was really fortunate, man. Like, my mom actually um, just – she's taking classes. Or she might have just finished. I got to check what I got to ask. But she was taking classes uh, to get her certification from Edward Jones, like, to be a financial advisor, a registered financial advisor. And so – my mom has worked with my grandparents' finances and helping them. So that was, you know, lower tax bracket. You got middle class tax bracket. My family growing up, she was the one who handled a ton of that. And then even when I touched the highest tax bracket, she started learning what she needed to do, learn how to navigate that, started helping me out with it. And so that was my, that was basically my financial advisor. I didn't have to, to 
it just says higher one because my mom was able to walk me through those things and and like I said when I would even hesitate to tell some people that because everybody's family structure ain't like mine like you some people you you hear tons of horror stories oh man my mom handled my finances and she took everything um and so I hesitate to tell people that because I was like you know Dre's been around my family Dre, Dre knows like man they like we love each other to like to the utmost man it, like my my parents are amazing and so I knew that I could trust my mom with this growing process and, and I, that even showed me how much more blessed I was I'm like oh mom man shaving nothing off the top she's not trying to say oh well, do you want to help me in that like no nah, like she said I'm going to help you understand this so um what she did was every month I still remember this my rent cost three thousand so three thousand will go in rent and then I'd have another three thousand that would go to my Wells Fargo. This is early on, I was literally just using money on my debit card. And another three thousand would go just into my debit where I could use that to pay. And so I would for recreation, I would use three thousand dollars a month. And for rent, I would use three thousand dollars a month. And that just taught me how to budget. And I went to a financial advisory meeting uh, for the NFL. And this lady comes in, she was giving us some good tidbits. And she said, Yeah, for a second round pick. You could probably spend about after rent. You could probably spend about nine thousand dollars a month. I was like, "Nah, I'm only spending three. <laughs> <laughs> so I called my said, "Mama, this lady said I could spend nine thousand. So she said, "Don't listen to him." <laughs> <You know? laughs> so it was just, it, but but basically, it was it was very simple things. It was like, "Yo, don't don't go out." You know, she was like, "Don't go out and buy a new car because it's going to depreciate the second it goes off the lot." Don't agree to no business uh, uh, idea unless you know about the business. Like unless you really can stand by this thing and say, oh yeah, it's 100%. Like don't be, uh, don't, don't get into bad investments and then don't get into bad relationships. A lot of people don't realize the number two way, the, the top two ways guys go broke after the NFL is not from buying Jordans, okay? It is from bad investments and divorce. And I believe divorce speaks to a bad investment in relationships. Absolutely. So it's really ultimately just bad investments. Okay. It's you putting, you going all in on something and then losing it. And so I was like, nah, this is not going to be me. I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to be smart with my, with my payments. When I want to have a good time, Hey, we can spend a little bit more. But at the same time, guess what? Monday morning, I'll be back in there grinding. There's going to be more coming in ever than going out. And just not making the big purchases. I, just bought land in Nashville. That's my biggest purchase since I've been playing. I'm in year six going to seven. And I'm buying land. You know what I mean? So this Definitely. is the mindset. Exactly. And this is what we're trying to continue to instill in young brothers. I want to lead the way and, and do it. So then when I'm telling somebody else about it, they can say, well, what'd you do? I, I, I'm going to show you. Absolutely. You know, I sh- I'll show you the fruit and just trying to lead by example. Thanks for listening to another episode of What's the Hype Podcast. Remember to like, subscribe, and comment. Follow us on all platforms at What's the Hype Podcast. I've been grinding all my life, all my life. Been grinding all my life. Sacrifice, hustle, pay the price. Want a slice? Got to roll the dice. That's why. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.